Psalms chapter 2 tonight. Psalms chapter 2. It's a, a short chapter in the Bible. Psalms 2. We're going to preach the whole book 1 through 12. Yeah, wrong S word. <laughs> Which Psalm ain't really an S word either, but it sounds like an S word. <laughs> it happens. happens to the best of us. In Psalms chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When this wrath is kindled but a little, blessed, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. As we look at the scripture, not we look at the words, we look at three important points that I believe the Bible bears out through the scriptures in Psalms chapter 2. The three things we're going to see is the world's rebellion, God's victory through Christ, and our victory through Christ. As we look at verses 1 through 3, we see the psalmist really depict the world's rebellion against God. And when we look and talk about how the world is in the shape that it's in, we know it's not a new problem because when the psalmist wrote this, the world was already raging against God. We're talking way, way, way back when in the time of David. But if we want to go all the way back, as I read the scripture, this thought came to my mind, is that Satan has always warred against God. And the Bible says that we are not warring against flesh and blood, but warring against dark principalities, meaning Satan and those that follow after him, those angels, the third of heaven, which uh, rebelled against Christ. And we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with the serpent there in the garden as he tried to deceive Adam and Eve, or did deceive Adam and Eve. His sole purpose in doing that was to thwart God. It was not just to take down man. It was not just to take down two individuals. But it was the thought of the knowledge of the fact that a Savior was going to come from that lineage and the idea was if that lineage could be destroyed, the Savior would not come. So Satan warred against the man then, warred against God then. We see the killing of the Israelite babies. Why did it happen? It wasn't just because of the wickedness of the world. It wasn't just to destroy uh, this or that. It was to war against God, trying to stop God from his ultimate mission. And we look all the way to the death of Christ. Satan had no idea. So we, a lot of times we give Satan, again, too much credit. We think Satan knows everything. Satan had no idea after the crucifixion that Christ was going to raise from the dead and have victory over death, hell, and the grave. He thought he had defeated God when, he, when, the, when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary because the devil has always been fighting against God. And the devil uses man, uses things of this world as weapons against God. You see, Satan will someday fool the world through the works of the Antichrist and the false prophet. We see that already being discussed here in verse 2 where it talks about the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. A day and time is going to very well come when people or these rulers are going to get together and try to figure out how to be their own gods. And if you don't think it's going to happen, it's happening today in the world as we speak. People are wanting to be the ultimate authority over everything. 
And you say, well, that doesn't mean they're gods. Yes, in their own way, they're trying to be gods. They're wanting to have authority over life and death. And we think about uh, the, 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 the big move to try to save the planet and save the world. There's nothing wrong with taking care of the blessings God has given us. But realize you will never save this world from destruction. The Bible bears out that the world is going to go away. It's going to be burned. It's going to be destroyed. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth created. Uh, there's nothing man is going to do to stop this. But we're always trying to delay the inevitable. We're trying to delay death. We're trying to delay judgment. We're trying to delay destruction. But what it all boils down to is us thinking that we can overpower, have more authority than God has. The Bible tells us that no one, no man, no woman, no anyone will ever have more authority than what God has, including Satan, including these uh, demons or angels or any other uh, spiritual being. God is God and God is separate. He is different. He is on his own level that no one, no man, nothing will ever be able to attain. You see, the reason Satan was kicked out of heaven was because he wanted to be more powerful than God. His ultimate goal, and his ultimate goal today, is power and authority. He wants control. Uh, he couldn't accomplish it in heaven. He's doing a really good job trying to accomplish it here on earth. And But for a season, he's going to have a little bit of authority because of what we give him, what we allow him to have here on our planet. Uh, when we give in to him and allow him to be the one that calls the shots, we are are giving him authority. See, the only power Satan has ever had is what mankind has awarded to him. The Bible says, as greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, which means if we possess Jesus Christ in our heart, we have more power than Satan could ever dream of. But we don't know, realize how much power we have sometimes. We want to talk about how mean the devil is, how bad he thumps on us and everything else. And we want to talk about how he's destroying our world, destroying our families, destroying everything. But the reason he does it is a lot of times because the church isn't exercising their power. We're not praying. We're not doing the things that God has given us as a weapon. We're not studying God's word. How many people that are born again believers in Jesus Christ never crack open a Bible? Sometimes even when they come to church, they don't crack open a Bible. But yet God has given us because the power rests in his word. And if we know his word, use his word, share his word, it's amazing the power that we have. You see, when we look at Psalms chapter 2, we see people that are much like the people who built the Tower of Babel. They're determined to rebel against God no matter what. No matter the consequences, no matter what may happen. They're determined to rebel against God. As much like the Pharaoh we learned about on Sunday morning, as his heart is continually hardened against God and the ways of God, he is more willing to rebel against God because he doesn't worry about the consequences of God. Folks, there are very much consequences in not submitting our lives to Christ. There's a lot of consequences of not submitting to what the Lord says through His Word. Now, we can't be legalistic about this because there's a lies being taught in two different ways with this. Some people want to say, well, the only way God will accept you is if you do this, 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 and this. And that is not simply not true. We are accepted by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. That is what gets us acceptance by God is the sacrifice of Christ. But all the same, that doesn't mean that we should continue in sin. The Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. What the Bible tells us is it gives us, once we are saved and born again, it tells us the lifestyle that God desires His children to live. And we ought to strive to live that lifestyle. To do the things He said to do and to shun the things He said to shun. We have certain liberty in Christ Jesus. There are certain things that, that we, we may never agree on or see eye to eye on, and there are certain things that we make a mountain out of. It's really a molehill. But if we need to look at the black and white word in this book or, or the written in red words of Jesus Christ and see what the Bible says that we should do and should not do, 
does not matter the world's standard. It does not matter tradition's standard. It matters what the Bible bears out. There's a lot of things that I thought was fine that the Bible says is wrong. A lot of things I thought was wrong that the Bible says is fine. But if you don't get into the Word, how will you ever know? We, we need to know how to make Christ our authority, our, our Lord. Not just our Savior, but our Lord. You see, just as we see in the Scripture, the people want to break the bounds of authority or break the yoke that Christ has upon them. People like Christ when He's Savior. People don't like Christ when He's Lord. There are so many people that will say, well, Lord, I, you know, I've been saved. He's my Savior. I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful He's saved me. But yet, they won't allow Him to be the Lord of their lives. They don't want to submit to him. And we have a real big, it, that is a really big American problem too because we are blessed with so much freedoms in our lives. I mean, face it, we have a lot of freedoms as part of this country. We can, we, we can literally hire and fire our leaders of our country through how we vote. You can't do that in every country. Uh, we have the freedom to work when we, where we want, go to school where we want. We have the freedom to not work at all if we so choose. We have the freedom to live however we want. We've got people living all kinds of crazy lifestyles. We have freedom to, we got people worshiping things that are insane right now. We have that kind of freedom in this country. You don't have that amount of freedom anywhere else in the world. And while that is a blessing, it is also in a way a hindrance because we're not used to entirely submitting to anyone. You say, well, we have country. You're right, we have a president. However, we don't entirely submit to that president. That president is not an absolute authority. We elect him by hiring, by we hire him by electing him. We can fire him by unelecting him. Uh, and that's true for anyone out there. There is no one in this country as an absolute ruler. But yet when we look at God, God is not elected. God is not hired nor fired. God does, it does not matter how we feel about God. God is God. He is an absolute authority. That means it is our absolute duty to submit our lives to Him. Every second of every day in every matter. Yet too often, again, we look at God as saying, well, He's my Savior and He's a God of grace, so He's just going to overlook how I act. God is not that kind of God. That's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible has given us a standard that He expects of His church, expects of His children, and we are expected to submit our lives to that. You see, it doesn't work with Savior and Lord being separate. It must be both or it must be neither. Luke 19, 14 says, But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man reign over us. My oh my, how many times do we see this in people who, who carry the title of Christian? And I'm not here to judge one way or another whether they are or are not, but what I am here to say is that the Bible says that he will have reign over his church. We are his bride and he is our bridegroom. We have a relationship that is unbreakable, that is unbending and unchanging. It is eternal. And with that, we again, God has those expectations that he is not just Savior, he is Lord. If we are to be saved by him, we must also be ruled by him. You will not ever be ruled spiritually by a man. There is no, uh, there are some religions and denominations that have some man-made head that does not exist in the Christian world. The biblical way is Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the church. Even a pastor, as a pastor, the only authority that I have is in these books right here. If it ain't in this book, I don't really have authority over it. Um, and a lot of people, sadly, have taken more authority, really, than what they've gotten. But it all boils down to what authority God has given us through His Word. It's the same thing in our household. A husband is not meant to be a king. He's not meant to be a dictator. A husband is meant to be a servant leader. 
the Bible says that Christ that men should love their wives the way Christ loved the church, and Christ died for the church. And that is how a man is supposed to lead. The only authority you have in your home is the authority that these pages give you as the role of husband and wife is to have. Nothing else. We cannot take more than an hour, but with God, God has all authority over all people in all things at all times. He's the individual in that. No one is quite like that. And again, people don't like it. Although people want to break the binds of, that, uh, of chains of bondage that are upon them that they see, that they feel that uh, they're being bound down, however, we are actually liberated through Christ's sovereignty. We are set free through Christ's sovereignty. We look in verses 4 through 9, we see that God had victory in Christ. So many people, as David was raised up as a king, we saw people time and time again trying to stop David from coming to the throne. And when we look at David, David is a future, a past picture of a future Christ. As it uses the word anointed there and is referring to David as God's anointed, Jesus Christ, who is from the lineage of David, is the future anointed. He is the future King of Kings and Lords of Lords that is going to come later on the scene. You see, in verses 4 through 9, we see God's victory. We see in verse 4 that God laughs at these people who are trying to uh, take authority away from God. This is the only time in the whole Bible it talks about God laughing. We see Jesus crying. We see so many emotions. But it's the only time we see laughter coming from God. And as we see this laughter coming from God, this laughter is a laughter of mockery. That's what the word derision means. It means mockery. In other words, he is making fun of those who are trying to think that they're more powerful than he is. And when we think about the power of God, the fact that He created everything that has ever been in existence, that He is the one who uh, decides heaven or hell, that He is the one who can save souls, that He is the giver and taker of life, what kind of man would honestly think that they could overcome the power and authority of God? Yet people do it every single day. They say, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to do what the Word says. I, I don't want to live the way He says to live. Uh, I want to be my own God but God is not going to stand for that forever. You see, we see here that God tells us that he has set a king upon the holy hill of Zion. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Psalm 135, 6 says, Whatsoever the Lord pleased that he did in heaven and in earth in the seas and in all deep places. It doesn't matter if God's ways please us. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if we like how God does things. It's irrelevant because He is God and we are just His clay. That's the very best that we are, is His clay. In fact, we are should be so grateful for the fact that God saw fit to have a relationship with creatures such as us. That we were wretched sinners, yet God has a relationship with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the kings that God put on the throne of Israel, their success depend on how much they were obedient to God's throne. We see it all these kings all throughout the Bible, and some were, were very successful, some were in rulers for a long time, and some we see there for just a, a verse or two and gone. Most of that depend on how faithful they were to God. We look at the story of David. David was not perfect. David was a man who made many mistakes. He was more faithful than most. And what do we see? We see a, a, a rule that lasted quite some time. But yet even with David, there is one who came who was faithful all the way. In every aspect, everything he done, that was Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ submitted completely to the Father. Not just here and there. And even the best of us are not perfect in our flesh. 
But Jesus Christ was perfect. Even when to the cross of Calvary, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will. It was about what the will of the Father was. And Christ followed all the way into eternity. You see, because of that, his kingdom is going to go forever. There is no end to Christ's kingdom. Those that have rebelled against God, those that have uh, made martyrs and have fought against the church and killed Christians, those, the most wicked people you can think of, is going to be crushed in eternity under the rule of Jesus Christ. You see, judgment is real. There is no... Our judge is not one of these uh, crooked judges. He's not a halfway judge. The Bible says that God is just, and because God is just, those that have rebelled against God and refused to repent and turn to Him will face a king that is ruling and reigning, and he knows all things. There is nothing in his kingdom he is ignorant of. Every thought, every desire of the heart, God is aware of. And it should make us tremble. You see, the term that we have here that the Bible uses is the word begotten in verse 7. As we see the word begotten down there in verse 7, the word begotten here is not just a, a birth. And we always talk about how Jesus Christ is the only begotten son. And he is. He is the only begotten son. But if we go back to the Greek here in the Hebrew, the word begotten also means a coronation or to be crowned, to be made royal. You see, when David received his crown there, he was the king of Israel. He was crowned. He was declared a son of God, a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ was conceived in eternity, he was king of kings. He is king of kings. And he will always be king of kings. He's royal. And when you and I submit our lives to Jesus Christ, when we repent and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we became kings. We became kings royal lineage, because we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. The God, the Father, the King of all things is our spiritual Father. So we may not be a whole lot in the flesh, but through God we are more than we could ever imagine. You see, Jesus Christ doesn't just have a relationship with God. He is royalty with God. He is the Son of the King, which makes, doesn't make Him just a prince. He is, he is God. Folks, we have to realize the authority that Christ has. That he isn't just a good teacher, a good man. He, him and Billy Graham's not on the same level. Jesus Christ is God. And because that he is who we worship. He is who we submit our lives to in everything we do. See, David never ruled the entire earth. But Jesus, because of his perfect faithfulness to the Father, will one day rule in the millennium. That millennial reign of Christ that is coming. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people today that, that look down their nose at Christ. There's TV shows that make fun of Christ. There's songs and music out today that, that laugh and make fun of the idea of Christ. However, Jesus Christ one day is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And there it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or anyone has ever done. He is going to be King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And those who have rejected Him are going to pay a heavy price. It should be terrifying for them. Their hearts are hardened, so they don't have the fear they should have. But they will fear. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess who He is because He will be revealed to all, whether they like it or not. You see, it doesn't matter, again, who we think that God is. It doesn't matter uh, what we say about God because there is, it is God's authority. It is God's Word. It is God's truth. What we say and do and believe doesn't change God. God will always be God. 
During that thousand years, everyone who stood against God will be put down. As the shepherd of the world, Jesus has a shepherd rod which will demand respect and submission as it talks about ruling with a rod of iron. You know, we're ruled right now with a lot of grace. We mess up every single day of our lives. Um, I, I was sharing as I traveled with a, a good youth pastor from that church in Georgia yesterday and we talked about doctrinal issues and things like that. And, and I talked about some of the doctrinal issues in our area. And, and he he was really troubled by the idea uh, that people felt that they were in control uh, of their eternal salvation. Yeah, he was troubled that father, people thought that they could uh, make a mistake and God became an Indian giver and just withdrew back that free gift. And I said, it's common. It's so common and it's terrifying because... I worship Christ because what Christ gave to me. The minute I think that I can overpower God, I make myself God. Folks, we can't overpower God. We can't demand anything of God. I've seen people on TV that they go on there and they command God to do to heal this one or command God to make this one work. Folks, we, we don't have that kind of authority. We can't command God. We can ask God. We can pray to God. We can seek God. But in the end, it is not my will, but your will, God, let be done in this situation. We're sending a petition to God. And we are trusting that God knows what is best because He does have that authority. You see, we are just merely His clay and the potter has no reason to hold on to clay that ain't moldable. I don't know if you've ever been around something made pottery before, but they can take a broken piece and they can mold it. They can work it. They can they can do some stuff with it. However, once you take a, a piece that's been worked on so long, it eventually becomes unmoldable. There's people that God has called time and time and time and time and time and time again that has rejected, 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 rejected. And when the day of judgment comes, there is not going to be another call. That rejection is going to be it. And those people, as we see in the Bible, is going to plead and beg and make excuses and do everything possible to try to slide into heaven on the last second. But the Bible tells us what happens, that he says, depart from you that work iniquity. He talks about the great white throne judge and how he opens the books and he looks for the names and they're not there. And he said, and he casts them to the lake of fire with, with the false prophet, the Antichrist, and all those that have rejected Christ. Folks, it is not optional to submit to God. It is essential to submit to God. It is necessary to submit to God for salvation and for every single thing that we do as Christians to submit to God. There are times in my life when I've had to make decisions and the first thing is I, I want to do what Justin wants to do. I want to do what Justin's going to find enjoyable. But then i got to take a step back and say, wait a second, it doesn't matter what Justin wants. It matters what God wants. There's plenty of times that we, I, I'm sure a lot of you here, it's a Sunday night. Sunday night is always your, some of your most faithful in the church. There's plenty of times I know that you all get up and you think, I just don't feel good today. I don't feel like going nowhere. I don't want to get up. I know it's Sunday, but I just don't feel like it. But you know what? We have to crucify the flesh and follow God, even when it's not necessarily enjoyable that moment because of what is long-term. And we talk about our kids getting our kids their shots. Sadie, she, she doesn't like shots, obviously. No one likes shots, I don't think. Um, and the first thing she'll say is, Daddy, I don't want it. It hurts. And I say, you're right, it does. But... What happens down there, it keeps you from being sick down the road. All the things that God gives us do, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it isn't easy. But God knows what's coming down the road. God knows what we need. God knows what we stand in need of. And we have to, again, to trust and submit.
In verse 10 through 12, we see our victory in Christ. Not only does God have victory in Christ, we have victory in Christ. In verse 10, we see that God's call for repentance or submission. How beautiful is it that we see that these, these, kings and, these kings, these world leaders, are rebelling against David. We see them going to rebel against Christ. We see people today rebelling against Christ. We see world leaders that are literally doing everything they can to persecute the church today. Some countries have went as far as outlawing Bibles and outlawing Christianity, yet God is still giving them time to repent. Listen, I'll tell you, for me as a person, when someone was rebelling against me like that, I wouldn't want re- I wouldn't want justice. But God is not giving justice; God is giving grace. God, there is not a person alive that is breathing that doesn't have an opportunity to repent and receive God's grace, even the most wicked men alive. That is a good and loving God. How could we see God as being anything but um, just beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding, when He offers that kind of love and mercy? These people have broke the chains of bondage. And how often do you and I try to break the, the submission of our lives to Christ? We try to take away the yoke of Christ. And yet what does God do? He says, come on, son. This isn't how you need to act. He corrects us and He gets us right back where we need to be. We don't deserve that. We deserve condemnation the instant we rebel. But yes, we get we all, every single one of us here rebel at one point in time or another, and more often than not. And yet God, through His grace and mercy, His patient and long-suffering, He calls us to repent, calls us to turn back to Him. And we do. And we follow Him the way that we're called to do. You see, the call is to, here is to submit to David. But more importantly, the call is submit to the eternal King. We in our lives, we, we've never met David. David died long before any of, you, any of you all were here, and even I before I was here. But yet we have a king of kings and lord of lords that we are to submit to, and that we are called to submit to. When we find our calling in life, let me tell you something, I had no desire in my flesh to ever stand behind a pulpit and preach. No desire whatsoever. That was a lot of work. I knew the abuse that pastors got because of my family who were pastors. I knew the the heartache that went into it and the work and that went into it. And I said, oh my goodness, I do not want that. But it doesn't change. When God wants something, you've got to do it. You can run for a long time. Look at our good friend Jonah in the Bible. You can run from a lot for a long time. But when God calls you to do something, God's going to get you to do it eventually. God's going to get your attention one way or the other. It's a whole lot easier on us if we would just do it to begin with. You see, the psalmist has warned that God's judgment is coming here and that destruction will be the end result unless they heed these last two verses. We're given the same warning in the Bible. We are warned that if we do not submit, we do not heed the warnings in the Bible, we do not answer the call of the gospel, that destruction will come. It's not as simple as you know not going to heaven. That's bad enough. That's, that's horrible to think about not going to heaven and missing out on that. But that's, that's, that's about the best warning we got. The scary warning that we've got is there's also a hell. Because if there's a heaven, there's got to be a hell. And the Bible tells us it's a place that the worm dieth not. It's a place that people go and they plead to die. Uh, the, the rich man, when he went there, he, he pleaded for God to send Lazarus to warn his brothers not to make the mistake he made and not to go there. And, the, and you know, the great thing about it all is God gave us a way out. God didn't try to trick us and say, you got to do this, 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 and this to get out of hell. He done the work to get us out of hell. 
He sent Jesus Christ to the cross and He died on the cross that we don't have to go to hell. But we're making, there's people working harder to go to hell than what it is to miss hell. That's really the sad part and the heartache for all of it is that when we see what the Bible says, God never, ever, ever says, be perfect and I'll let you go to heaven with me. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How much better of a deal can we be given? But we have to be willing to humble ourselves down and submit to that. We have to be willing to humble ourselves down and ask the Lord to save us. Believing in Him. Having faith in Him. And we see that verse in 11 and 12 where we are commanded to worship. We're commanded to reverence. We're commanded to tremble at God. You see, when we know who God is, we should have a healthy, reverent fear of God. Because of the power. Because of His abilities that He has. Because His relationship with us. I'm sure everyone here had respect and reverence for their parents. They should have. Our parents, yeah, they could whip us, they could ground us, they could do all kinds of things to you, but you're, imagine what God can do. I mean, that's, that, that in alone should make you tremble. And we finally, we see in verse 12, the complete submission to a king. It uses the word kiss there, and I had to look this up, because I kept on wondering, the kiss the son, what was the, the meaning behind that? But we're thinking again, back to the fact that he is a king, and we think about uh, how we see oftentimes people kiss the ring of the king as a sign of respect to royalty. You see, the son here is Jesus Christ. The kiss is our submission, our recognition that he is a king, that he has authority. And that only by hiding ourselves in Christ instead of rebelling against Christ can we be saved from God's wrath that is warned about, that is kindled. You see, God's wrath is ultimately what's going to be released in the years of tribulation. And when the judgment comes and people are cast into a devil's hell, it is God's wrath that casts them. That white throne, that white in a fire is the hottest fire you can have. That fire, that is, that is the very wrath of God poured out on all those who rejected, that rebelled, and that broke the law of God. You see, it uses the word trust here. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. And we use trust quite often. We sing trust and obey. And we talk about trusting God. Well, we got to look at what the Hebrew of trust is. Because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. Here is a news flash that most people don't seem to realize. But Paul, Jesus, Peter... None of them carried a King James Version Bible. Didn't have it. Didn't exist. Greek New Testament, Hebrew Old Testament. That's what they had. That's what existed. When we look at that translation of those languages there, the word trust in the Hebrew is the same as meaning taking refuge that we see in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 12. And taking refuge means something that you are being protected under. If a rainstorm broke out and we, we come here underneath this canopy out back, we are taking refuge. We are protected by the canopy. When we are trusting in Christ, we are taking refuge in Christ. We're being protected in Christ. We're being watched over by Christ. You see, it's not just a relationship. It's not just a contract. But we are hidden in Christ. We see in the New Testament the word trusting means to be leaning on, to waiting for, all referring to that same translation, that word trust. We are leaning on Christ. When times are bad and things are drear and things look like there's no way out, we lean on Christ to support us. And right now, if you're saved and you're born again, you're waiting on Christ. We're waiting on His return. We're waiting for that call for the church to go out. 
The rapture is going to take place. There's no doubt about it. The book of Peter talks about how people uh, doubted the return of Christ. And even sadly today, it seems like less and less people are talking about the rapture that is going to come. Some people have run it off at this point. But it doesn't change the promise that Jesus is coming back for his bride. We think about weddings. And I think about how... Uh, how much, how excited a, a groom is to see the bride come through the door and walk down the aisle. What kind of groom would walk away and leave his bride at the altar? Jesus Christ isn't going to do that. He is coming back for his bride. He's coming back for the church. You see, a day is coming when God the Father is going to tell his son to go ask for his inheritance. And we see there throughout the word here that that inheritance is that he will rule on earth. You see, not only is he going to come back for the church, not only is he going to have that seven years of tribulation, but Christ is going to have possession of the earth. He don't have it now. Or some people want to claim that he's ruling and reigning now. And while he is sovereign, he has authority, the day is going to come where all those who want to smite him, that's not going to happen any longer. You see, his enemies and will be, at that point, submitting to his absolute authority. They're going to realize who he is, realize how powerful he is. And those who have accepted Christ as their Savior will have absolute protection and joy. We talked about this morning about the, the, the sea, that what it meant for the Israelites, what it meant for the Egyptians. For the Egyptians, the sea was death. It was a grave. For the Israelites, it was, it was salvation. It was freedom. God is very much the same way. For us that are saved and born again, when Christ rules and reigns on earth, how awesome it's going to be for us. The fact that we are going to rule and reign with him. The fact that he will be sitting on that throne in the temple. How exciting of a time that is for the church. But for those who have rebelled against God, those who just flat out refuse to submit to him, it's going to be a terrifying time. The Bible says people will climb into rocks, under rocks, into caves, looking to avoid the very, uh, the very judgment of Jesus, the very glare of Jesus, because of all the things they have said and done to fight against him. Folks, we do not have to be uh, going about and murdering Christians or making fun of Jesus to be rebelling against him. We just got to be not submitting to him. You see, as Christians, the Bible declares there's two groups of people in the world. There are sheep and there are goats. And I've been around some sheep and some goats both, not a whole lot in either one, but a little bit of both. And they got a lot of similarities. Neither one are the brightest of creatures. They both do some really, really silly things. The difference is that sheep can be led. You get some sheep, you get a sheep dog or get a shepherd out there, they can herd those sheep together. But a goat, a goat is, a, is an ornery animal. He'll eat anything. He don't want to listen to nobody. He'll bite you. He'll, he, he, he just, he's ornery. He's stubborn. He's, he's very self-willed. As Christians, we are to be sheep. Yeah, we do some silly things. We make some awful mistakes. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. But in the end, we submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. And we submit ourselves to the authority of God and the authority of His Word. But goats, goats got to become sheeps. Because goats are not being led by anything. Why are we led? What is the difference? The difference is when we're saved and born again, we have the Holy Spirit of God inside us to direct us. That is the only reason we're submitting. It's not because we're good. It's not because we're more intelligent. We're just as wicked as any other creature in the flesh. But we have the Holy Spirit of God within us making us submit, showing us who God is. If you've never been saved, you've never been born again, you need that Spirit of God. 
The only way to get it is by submitting to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means acknowledging that he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross of Calvary for our sins, and that he rose from the grave the third day that we may be born again. Folks, if you've never been saved, you've never been born again, just as I said every morning, the Bible says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have we called upon the Lord? And if you are saved, if you are born again, have you submitted your life to Christ every moment, every day? Are you doing the things He has told us to do through His Word? Are you answering the call He has on your life? If you've not, you need to take this time to repent and make sure you are following faithfully after God. We'll turn to page 240.